0: Beloved, let's turn now to 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, we're going to be reading from verse 12. <clears throat> I'm happy to see each one of you, each one of you, beloved, it's delightful to be together. We are the house of God. We are the house of God gathered in this place of worship. What an honor. What an honor. 1 Peter chapter 4, from verse 12. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though something strange were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, Keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of his glory, you may also rejoice and be overjoyed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Let's pray. Father, what can we say? You remind us, O Lord, that your heavenly Father and ours is attentive to a bird that falls from the sky to the ground and accompanies it with his tender, loving care. You also tell us that the hairs of our head are numbered, that every detail of our life does not escape the attention of this all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful God, our Father. And so this morning we thank you. We thank you because whatever is happening around us or whatever is happening to us do not happen by chance. You are in control of every situation. If you foreknew us and you predestined us to be conformed to the image of your son so that he might be the firstborn amongst many, And if you called us, and you justified us, and you glorified us, how can you forget us? If you did not spare your only beloved son, how will you not with him give us everything that we need throughout our journey? How can you forget your beloved children, Father? It's impossible. You've engraved our names in the palm of your hand. We are yours forever. Deliver us from the fear that so often besets us and clouds our thinking and causes us to shake. Forgive us when we are like little children in a room that says, Daddy, Daddy, I see something in my room. Thank you for being so patient with us. Thank you for being long-suffering. The Lord, help us not to stay in that state of mind as children, help us to grow and to no longer be afraid of ghosts, to no longer be afraid of COVID-19, to no longer be afraid of whatever happens around us, but to be so trusting in you that we will overcome all fear and accept whatever is thrown at us with joy, I prayed this for myself. I prayed for your beloved people of God. I prayed for the church so that your name would be glorified in all things. In Jesus' precious name, for his sake, amen. Please be seated. There was a time that I did not have the joy that I now have in Christ. There was a time that I was very much afraid and I felt I had to control every situation in my life. And uh, my wife can vouch to this. And of course, how foolish of us to even think that we can control everything, right? I mean, can we control anything when we're sleeping? (laughs) We can't control a thing. I remember we used to be so... Afraid when we put our firstborn into the bassinet, and then later into his crib, and we had a um, a uh, what do you call those things, honey? A monitor, and we used to hear his every breathing. Every time he turned into the bassinet, we'd jolt. At least my wife did much more than I did because I was a very heavy sleeper. And um, and and we'd sleep, but we'd sleep with such a sense of of angst, right? Then finally we said, oh, let's just sleep. Forget this, right? Every parent, Marco, you know what I'm talking about, right, Marco? Everybody goes through this. We sleep finally and we let our children go. Who makes sure that they wake up in the morning? Who watches over them? The one who never sleeps. We can't control a single thing. God shows us with practical things that we can't control things. We think we're in control, but we're not. And one of the things that would scare me significantly was the subject of suffering. Suffering scared me. I think we're all afraid of suffering to one degree or another. We don't. We don't want any kind of suffering to intrude into our lives, and that's why we have um, alarm systems, and we have and we have keys that lock things up, and we have um, bank accounts, and we make sure that nobody knows the password, and so forth. But as you well know, they can hack through that. They can go through our alarm system. Nothing is safe. The only thing that is safe is our souls in Christ. That's safe. No one can snatch us from the hand of God. No one. So, but suffering. When suffering would come into our lives, I, was, um, I would tense up. And I would say, okay, how do I handle this? And I had to learn how when suffering comes into our lives, it's God's doing. COVID-19 is God's doing. When anything comes into our lives, that is painful. It's always God's doing. For God's children, it's always. All things work for the good to them that love God. And so the, the disciples of Christ in Peter's day were surprised. We're children of God. Shouldn't God be protecting us from all this persecution, this opposition? Should he not be in charge and, and make sure that we're okay? And that's what we think too. We think, All right, we're God's children. God is going to protect us. And if you read scripture, he says exactly that. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lord, you have a funny way of showing it. Because he lets pain come into our lives. And sometimes the pain is global, like COVID-19. And sometimes it's particular. It applies to me. It applies to you. And that kind of suffering would scare me it would leave me very much anxious. I didn't show it. I would say, yes, the Lord is with us. But deep down, there was a a storm in my life. So when Peter writes these words, he is reassuring the church that the suffering they were going through, which, by the way, was in addition to the everyday kind of suffering that they had with everyone else, common suffering. For example, they had no electricity, so they had to go and chop wood, and sometimes the axe would miss and, and would hit, hit someone, hit themselves, cut themselves, whatever, hurt themselves. So there was common suffering, right? The water wasn't running in t- pipes and out of a faucet. No, they had to go draw from a whale. Nearby the whale, there were thieves, there were animals lurking. So there was common suffering to, known to all of mankind at that time. But in addition to common suffering, besides disease and sickness and whatnot, they had this added dimension of suffering. Persecution. Opposition. Loss of jobs. They confiscated their homes. They would be thrown to lions. They would be covered with pitch and then lit to light up the streets of Rome. And Nero would be on his balcony Isn't Rome beautiful by night, he would say. So these Christians were struggling with that. They had a hard time. And so Peter says, don't be surprised. What a comment. Have you ever spoken to someone who's going through a lot of pain? What is your first instinct with that individual? Oh, I'm so sorry. Someone's had a loss. Like... Maria, that lost her last sibling, right? What do we do? We comfort them. Or, if you're a soldier, what do you do with a soldier? Chin up, soldier! And so here's a soldier who's lost an eye, lost a limb, and lost a leg, and he's there stiff as a board. He's not going to show that he's afraid. See, these are two ways we deal with suffering and pain. Then there's the Buddhist way. I'm not sure how many of you have ever studied Buddhism. I did, and uh, just a little bit, but I do know this much about Buddhism. Buddhism associates suffering with desire. If you desire, you end up suffering. If you desire fame, for example, to reach your objective, or if you desire riches... To reach your objective, you will suffer. And you will cause others to suffer as well. Because you are so focused on becoming a star or becoming rich that you will hurt people around you. That's the teaching of Buddhism. There's some truth to that, but it's faulty. I mean, we're hungry and we desire food. How am I going to kill that desire? I'm thirsty and I want to drink. Can I kill that desire? You can't. I'm lonely and we desire companionship. Can you kill that desire? You can't. See, there's some truth to it, but it's faulty because God gave us those desires. God gave us desires I want to live that's a desire right that's a healthy desire it's a normal healthy desire if someone doesn't want to live they're not healthy there's something wrong and therefore we fight to live we take medication when needed we try to eat well so we avoid prosciutto I don't but for those of us who do Right, So we try to take walks. We try to keep ourselves as healthy as possible so that we don't end up with a hernia. Right? We want to live. Is that a wrong desire? No. That's why God gave us eternal life. Praise God. That's a good desire. So you see, Buddhism fails when it comes to suffering. So does Peter say to the Christians, oh, I really feel bad for you. I really do. I wish, I wish I could tell you something. Those of you who are suffering right now for Christ's sake, those of you who have gotten your homes confiscated, those of you who have lost your jobs and your riches and your land, those of you who had your husband killed, those of you who had tar uh, the, your, your family members filled, covered with tar and lit up with, as a flame to lighten the city of Rome, I wish I could just be there and put my arms around you and comfort you. Peter doesn't say that. (laughs) He doesn't say, chin up! Be strong, for goodness sake, you bunch of cowards. Couldn't say that. You know why? Because he's a coward himself. Right? (laughs) Remember in the courtyard? I I don't know him. I I don't know him. No, no. Look, I'm telling you. I tell you, I don't know him. He's a coward. He couldn't say that. So what does he say? Don't be surprised. (laughs) Don't be surprised. Peter, you you, you don't understand what I'm going through. No, I do. I do. You know how Peter died? He died upside down, crucified on a cross. Now, that's not in Scripture. It's in uh, the book of Martyrs. According to traditions and passed on from generation to generation. Because the Lord told him that what kind of death he would die. That he would die a horrible death, but he would no longer be afraid of death. You see, that's the Christian. The Christian learns that we don't have to be afraid of suffering. We don't have to be afraid, beloved. We don't have to be afraid of COVID 19. You know what Martin Luther would do during the bubonic plague, which is far worse, by the way? Millions died in the 1500s. Millions. People would be on the streets stacked up as lasagna. Lasagna. We don't have that now. I don't see anybody stacked up on the street. Martin Luther would sanitize, would wash, and then he'd go out and minister. And he would tell the church to do the same. You go out and minister. When everyone else was running away, they would minister. Not every Christian, but many Christians. They were the only ones in the front lines. They were the only ones. They weren't afraid. Because you see, the Lord will never say to any of us, well done, my good and safe child. You made it. You stayed away from the virus. You stayed away from all the problems. You really bubbled yourself up and I'm just going to give you one heck of a reward for that. No, he's not going to do it. He's not going to do that, is he? He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. If our Lord left the most pristine and the most beautiful place of all that was filled with glory, matchless glory, and he gave up every right, and came down and descended to this place of filth, surely we can handle COVID-19. Right? I'm not saying that we should not wear a mask and, and take the measures we do it. But that's not going to protect us. This past week, my cousin passed away. My cousin was a germophobe, a wonderful man, a wonderful father, a wonderful husband, very well respected, 55 years old, starts coughing, within days he's had to be rushed to the hospital and within days after that, he's gone, intubated the whole thing and then passed. A germophobe, this man would make sure that everything was spick and span around him. So why did he die? How did he catch it? We don't know. You think it's really my mask and my sanitizing that's going to keep me alive? Really? The child of God knows better. When God says, my time is up, my time is up. That's it. My brother passed away with COVID-19. The person next to him did not pass away. He had COVID-19. Some of you had relatives and family members we had COVID. They didn't pass away. Not even a symptom. Why? Oh, science may say this and that, but we know why, because God is the one who upholds all life. So when suffering comes your way, as a child of God, don't fall apart. And when suffering comes your way because of Christ, if you're persecuted for Christ's sake, and many of us are not, forgive me, The majority of us are not. Forgive me. 99.9% of us are not. Because we're afraid. And because we're afraid, because we're looking for the right moment, I know what it means because I was there. I was there and I understand it. We're looking for the right moment to share Christ. Brother, you understand, you're always sharing Christ. You are Christ's representative you are constantly representing Christ. And if you are a fearful Christian, you are representing Christ in a fearful manner. If you are a weak Christian, you're representing Christ in a weak way. And if you are a faithful Christian, then you're representing Christ in a faithful way. We're always representing Christ. We're God's people. We are his body. And that's why we need each other. That's why we need to encourage each other. So those who are stronger go to the weaker and say, Brother, you're valuable. You're needed. You're not unimportant. And so here's Peter encouraging this church that was going through one heck of an ordeal. And he's saying, Beloved, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. It's part and parcel of the Christian life. I've been praying as of late. I said, Lord, I haven't suffered for your sake. I have it. I'm not sure if it's just around the bend. I've had I've been ridiculed. I've been made fun of. I've been slandered. There have been many things that I've done because I'm a Christian, but not suffering like these Christians who've suffered. And I'm not sure if it's gonna come our way. And some people say, COVID 19, this is a trick of the enemy. Why, in fact, wait a minute, it's the Chinese. Wait a minute, they're conspirators. Who cares? Who cares? Is God sovereign or not? Is He in control or not? If He is, there's nothing to be afraid of. Nothing. Nothing. So, what if I tell you that suffering for the Christian, for Christ's sake, is not only a privilege but it's character-shaping and liberating. I am starting to taste that as of now. As of now. And I'm sharing from my heart. Not only from the study of God's Word, but from my heart. So, I'm going to look at this passage with you. I'm going to look at it in a cursory way. I could have done a lot more in exegeting the passage, but just in a cursory way, just to bless us together. First, When we suffer for Christ, it proves the authenticity of our faith. Look at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Notice he likens the suffering to fire, to a furnace, red hot. Peter's already mentioned the fire of testing in the first chapter. We already dealt with this, and I'd like us to read this verse again. Chapter 1. Verse 7 in 1 Peter. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice what proof of your faith. How do we know if someone is a genuine Christian? Peter says, a genuine Christian. Yes, by his walk. Yes, because he confesses Christ. Yes, because of the fruit in his life. But if someone suffers for Christ and doesn't pull back, like I did, Peter said. Remember when I pulled back? I, was still, I still belonged to Christ. He prayed because he said, Satan will sift me as wheat. I was still the Lord's. But a genuine Christian who embraces suffering gives evidence That he belongs to God. Because we're afraid of suffering. Remember this, beloved. When others mean ill against you. When others want to destroy you. When others want to take you down. God always means it for good. Say that to yourself. When others want to take me down. When others want to do me harm. God always means it for good. Say it to yourself every single day. There's no weapon that is formed against you that can prosper. No weapon. Do you remember Balaam? He was called by King Balak and he said, King the king said, look, I'm terrified of these Israelites. Two million of them. Look at them. They're everywhere. They're going to destroy us. They're going to lick us up. They're going to do away with us. I want you to come and I want you to curse these people. And Balaam, because he wanted the money, he said, oh, but of course, I will come. No problem. I will curse them for you. But on the way, God tells him, you will say what I tell you. This guy was not a prophet. This guy did not belong to God's people. This man did not fear God. This man did not belong, but God told him, you will say what I tell you to say. Do you understand me? Now, not because had he gone ahead and cursed Israel, that would have made a difference. It wouldn't have made a difference. Nothing. But God was telling Balak, king of Moab, and the world, they're my people and they're blessed. If someone curses God's people, if someone puts a curse on you, and I lived in an area of Italy where curses were popular, I'd walk into a house where the father had been killed and the two sons of that woman were also killed to the day, one year later, in the same spot on the same street, at the same time, in the same way, I walked into her house, and she told me the story. It floored me. I lived in an area where curses were popular. But a curse against God's child doesn't, does not work. It's not because if Balaam would have said, "I bring a curse on Israel," that it would have worked. It would never have worked. But God is reassuring His children. Do you understand that if there's any problem in your life, it's because either I'm dealing with a sin in your life, or it's because God, I am as God, I am shaping you. Don't worry. No curse can succeed against God's people. You don't have to worry about any suffering, any pain. Let let it come. God is going to use it to do good in your life. Israel had disobeyed. The northern kingdom had now been absorbed by the Assyrians. They were completely awash. There was nothing of God left in the northern kingdom. God had blessed Israel, but they just took the path of apostasy. The southern kingdom, Judah, still had the temple, and they were sort of sort of obedient. But finally they, they left God altogether and they just went through the motions. Let's just worship. Let's pretend. Let's pretend. And God finally said, that's enough. I'm going to let the Babylonians come. They're going to kill. They're going to bring down the temple that you cherish. They're going to destroy your homes. The, the, the virgins will not be able to marry. The old men will die in weeping. The poor will take care of the land. Because you rich people were not considered of the poor. I'll let them take care of the land. And that's exactly what happened. And 4,000 were brought into captivity, including Daniel and his three friends. That's when you read the book of Daniel. You're reading about a man who was brought into captivity as a teenager. And they were discouraged. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen to us? Look at the temple. Look at the land. It's all destroyed. Look, everything is gone. My house is gone. My family is decimated. Look, our our best are brought into captivity. They're in Babylon. They're far away. What is going to happen? And this is what God tells them. In Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. But now this is what the Lord says. He who is your creator. Jacob. And he who formed you, Israel. Notice that Jacob and Israel, the same. Two names, same person. I created you, Jacob. You were a swindler. You were a liar. You were a manipulator. I changed you into an Israel as a prince with God. For you fought with God and you won. Imagine that. God lets us fight him and lets us win. Isn't that beautiful? Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. These people lost everything because of their disobedience. God had told them through many prophets, stop worshiping idols. Stop the violence. Stop the, the, all the disobedience. Just stop. And they said, yeah, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that, yeah. And they just continue. They would just continue. They would not stop. And finally God said, that's enough. He less them being carried into captivity. I have called you by name. So he's reminding them, these people who were now low, destroyed, to the ground. He says, I've called you by name. You are mine. Imagine saying that to someone who is completely down and out. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. What is God saying? When you go through something that you feel is choking you, he's right there next to you. He doesn't take you around the waters. He says, I'm going to bring you through the waters, and I'm going to be with you in the waters. It's like a child learning how to swim. And the the child is screaming. The child wants to come out of the water. But the father says, no, I'm going to keep you in the water, son. You need this, but I'm here with you. Move your legs. Move your arms like daddy taught you. Come on. God brings us through the waters. Not if. It doesn't say if. Read it carefully. When, 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 not if. There are no shortcuts for the children of God to holiness. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. Imagine these people. They said to themselves, we're finished. God has abandoned us. We've sinned. We can get it. We understand. Okay, please, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You're going to go through the waters. Because if I let go now, you're going to do it again and again and again. You're going to go through the waters. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. It's going to hurt. It's going to burn. But you're not going to be scorched. It hurts when a disease comes in unexpectedly and it rattles your home, it rattles your paradigm and you're saying to yourself, whoa, what is happening here? Did God abandon me? Is he not with me anymore? No, God is with you. He's in the water. He's in the fire. He's with you. He's purifying you. Isn't that beautiful? What a loving God we have. He cares for us. There is no God like our God. You would speak to my mom who went through one trial after another with a smile on her face and tears rolling down her eyes, and she'd say, How good is our God? And she was a saint of a woman who feared God. I was just telling John earlier on who had asked me for a Bible for his dad. I'm giving, I'm lending, more precisely. My mother's new Bible, which she barely read, she would pick it up, because the, her old Bible was falling apart. Literally, pages would come out of her everywhere. She didn't know where John was anymore. It was, she had to look for John, and she knew the books of the Bible. It's just that the pages were now removed from the binding, and so she goes, please, John, get me a Bible, but don't get me a Bible with a small phone. I need to read it to get that Bible, it took a lot. And finally, my sister was able to get that Bible, and we gave it to her, and she said, oh, thank you, thank you. And she would pick up this Bible, this new Bible with large font, and she would go, hmm, no. she put it down, and she would get her old Bible. And I know exactly how she feels. I've gotten, how many Bibles do I have, honey? A whole bunch of them. I picked them up, yeah, wonderful. And then I'd go back to my old Bible. So I'm lending this Bible to John, for his dad And uh, that Bible, old the old one, if I still have it, by the way, that's the one I took as a memento. It's falling apart. But my wa- mom was a woman who had such faith, such joy and no fear, no fear. I've told you the testimony many times. My mom was afraid of death and funerals and cemeteries when her, da- her, hus- her brother died. She didn't even go to the funeral. It was the brother she loved the most who carried my name, John. But when she came to know Christ, the Lord delivered her of her fear. And she was just filled with this joy, this unquenchable joy. And she went through so many fires in life. Sometimes she would say, Lord, is it something I've done? Why do I have to suffer like this as a Christian? why are people don't know the Lord not suffering and they're looking at me and they're saying, but she's a Christian. She has faith. She trusts the Lord. She's sharing Christ. And she would share Christ everywhere. She'd walk into a grocery store and I'd be embarrassed. I'd say, Mom, please, when I'm with you, do not take out those tracks. Please do not take out the tracks. You're with me. Please. I'd say, okay, okay. And do you know Jesus? This is for you. She didn't know how to speak English or French. And when the person knew how to speak Italian, she'd give her a message. And I would be embarrassed. And I would walk away. There's no one I know that loved the Lord like my mom. And there's no one I know that has suffered as much as my mom. And no one took it with grace like my mom. At times there were moments when she would weep and say, Lord, I don't understand. We lost so many things. But then she would just bounce right back and say, Oh, Lord, thank you. You are good. Just moments of doubt that would be quickly overcome by praise and singing. And you'd find her singing and just praising God and thanking Him for His faithfulness. Don't be surprised. God is working something remarkable in your life when suffering comes into your heart. No wonder... Paul, writing to Timothy, says these words. First of all, he he reminds uh, of the suffering. Before he does that, he speaks of um, his calling. And if you look at Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, we see the calling of God. And here we see that when someone belongs to Christ, he will suffer. And we see it in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. And we see it again. In 2 Timothy chapter three, verses 10 and 12. So let's read Acts 9 verse 15 and 16. This is the Lord speaking to Ananias. Ananias is being told, "Go on the street called Straight," and there you'll find a man called Saul." And when he heard Saul, Ananias, like, "Whoa, uh, you mean Saul of Tarsus?" The guy who's arresting all the Christians and tormenting them and killing some. Is that the Saul you want me to go see? And he goes, and Ananias was a man of God. He was a man of prayer. The Lord appeared to him in vision. He says, go. And he goes, no, I don't know about that, Lord. As if he was telling something new to the Lord, right? It's amazing how we are, how patient the Lord is with us. And the Lord says these words. Verse 15, go. Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. He's chosen. I've chosen him. When did he choose him? Before the foundation of the world. He had chosen Paul. So he lets Paul run his course. He becomes a Pharisee, a gifted one. And then he starts persecuting the church very efficiently to the point that Christians are terrified and they're running in every direction. Instead of staying still and saying, The Lord is our help, they were terrified, the early church. And the Lord lets him do it. Go ahead, Paul. Just keep doing it. Go ahead. Don't stop. Oh, you're killing my servant Stephen. Please, let me stand and welcome him home. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And finally, he stops them on. His way to Damascus says he's going to arrest other Christians in Syria. That's right, Christian Jews in Syria. Think about it. He wasn't happy to arrest those in Jerusalem and Judea. No. He wanted to go as far as Syria. And they would have gone in everywhere just to arrest any Jew who would claim to be a Christian. And the Lord stops him. Dead in his tracks. And now he's in a house in Damascus. He's blind. And he's asking himself, what is going on? If God is God, why did he let me arrest all these Christians, kill some, imprison others? Why? Why did he let me do this? He's mortified. If Jesus is the Messiah, why? I said that about myself too. nice is not willing to go. She's says, no, Lord, listen. Just, just let him be. He's a, just, he's a wild animal. No. Go. He's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. Notice. He's going to suffer. It's a privilege. I'm going to give it to him like a badge. He is going to suffer so much. That he will say, whatever was lacking in the sufferings of Christ, I now bear in my body. Paul said those words. Can any one of us say that? Can anyone say, not even my mom could say that. Not even Job could say that. Paul suffered more than anyone else. Whatever was lacking in the sufferings of Christ. In fact, he suffered so much that the Christians in his day would say, there's something wrong with Paul. They were doing the same thing as the three friends of Daniel. Of Job, sorry. Sorry. Three friends of Job were saying, Job, look, look. God doesn't do this. No, no, no. God doesn't take away all your sheep, all your donkeys, all your cattle. God doesn't take away all your livestock. God doesn't take away all your children. God doesn't take away if you are a righteous man. It can't be. <laughs> it can't be. And it says at the end that God was angry with those three. They were God-fearing men. Please understand me. Listen to me, Christian. Because they had that thinking, because they had that mindset, they argued with Job over and over. It can't be. There must be sin. There must be wrong. You must. And God is saying to these three, I am angry with you. And God is angry with anybody who takes on that kind of reasoning. Any child of God who believes that we're made to prosper and be successful and have a nice life here because this is our best life yet. God is angry with them. Angry. That's what God's word says. And then he tells the three, you go now to Job, he'll pray for you, and when he prays for you, I'll think about it. Lest I deal with you according to my anger. And these guys, shaking in their boots, went to Job. and said, Job, we made a mistake. We thought you were unrighteous. We thought you were full of sin. Forgive us. Forgive us, please. And Job said, oh, okay. I prayed for you other times. I'll pray for you one more time. (laughs) And he prayed for them. And it says that God did not deal with them according to their folly and prospered Job even more. So the person who is cursing you, the person who's doing you ill... The the suffering you are going through right now, praise God for it. And if others judge you for the suffering, saying that you have sin in your life, receive it humbly. Let God vindicate you. And when he does, his anger will be manifested to that person, whoever it is, and especially those who believe that the child of God should not suffer. Because that is unbiblical it is not according to the teaching of scripture look what Paul says to Timothy his son in the faith and we'll stop here Second Timothy chapter 3 Paul here is in prison He's in the Mamertine prison the worst prison in the days of Rome this prison had the worst criminals. He's placed with the worst criminals. And before they get executed, they're placed in this dungeon-like prison, which had an opening. And next to the opening, there was the filth of the sewage of the city of Rome. Whenever they, this prison was overpopulated, they would simply open this latch and let the waters come in and drown everyone inside. Tradition says that Paul was never killed that way, he was beheaded. So just before his beheading, he writes to Timothy his son in the faith. And this is what he says: Now, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love. Now get this: perseverance, persecutions, sufferings. Get it again. Perseverance, persecutions, sufferings. Paul includes them in the list. This is his honor badge. He says, you've looked at me, Timothy. You saw how much I suffered. You saw the persecutions. You saw when I was stoned. You saw when they nearly killed me. You saw everything, Timothy. And out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all. Underline that word. Because it speaks to me over and over all who want to live in a godly way in Christ Jesus will, not may, not some, will be persecuted. So when suffering comes your way, child of God, say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised with COVID-19. Don't be surprised with any ridicule or Any kind of opposition you may get for your faith, don't be surprised. Rejoice. You've been counted worthy to suffer. And if you're not suffering for Christ's sake and you're suffering with other things that are happening in your life, please don't complain. Because if God takes away one thing from your life, he has left behind hundreds of thousands hundreds of thousands, because he daily, daily loads us with benefits. We should not complain for anything that may come in our lives. We should simply say, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Isn't it true, beloved? Amen. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your wonderful and precious Holy Word, we are taken aback with the wonder of this glorious plan of redemption that you conceived in the mind of the triune God in eternity past, and at the specific time, you called each one of us to yourself, making us your very own, your people, your beloved, Lord. I just don't know what to say to all of this. You are an amazing God. And your people, together we glorify you. And we ask that you would remove from us those moments of fear and those moments of murmuring, those moments of ingratitude, and then to grant to each one of us the privilege, the honor of being counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Because we're not suffering for Christ. I'm not. No one is here in the Western world. You've not given us that blessing. Lord, strengthen us so that when that time comes, we will not run away like Peter did, but that we will experience such a grace, such a sustaining power, that we will be able to stand strong in the face of opposition. Thank you for the way you're using us, even though you've not counted us worthy to suffer. Thank you for the way you are ministering through us. Thank you for your grace. When we open this book, you speak to us. Our hearts bubble up with joy at the wonder of this amazing grace. Accompany each one of these lovely children of yours that are dear to you, for you you shed your blood, Jesus, for them. Accompany them with your grace, with your love, Father, and with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen.